Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 483. I really, man, I just hope everyone's doing well out there. Got the NFL schedule release in a little bit. Um, should be interesting. We'll provide some interesting details. Let's jump into this to start the show. On Tuesday, it was announced that Tom Brady has agreed to a broadcasting deal with Fox Sports. And when he retires, he will become their lead analyst during football games. It will be the team in the booth will be Kevin Burkhart and Tom Brady. And uh, Tom Brady got a contract worth 10 years, $375 million. And I love, love, love to hear this. I love that Tom Brady is going to be in front of a camera, in front of a microphone, talking about football when it's all said and done and his career is over. I've been saying this during my coverage of the Man in the Arena documentary. I've been saying it for a long, long time that I really hope when Tom Brady is done with playing football, he will be able to share his brain and share his storytelling and share his personality and talk about football. And I thought maybe it'd be a podcast. I thought maybe he'd be more. I was honestly worried he'd be kind of a recluse when he retired, that he would disappear forever and he'd just be with his family. And it would be a massive loss to the game of football to not have Tom Brady involved talking about the game of football, something he clearly knows so well and dominated for years and years and years. And uh, I'm just glad we're going to get more Tom Brady when he retires. He gets to talk about football and we get more of that. And it supports my belief, actually. It's funny. Tom Brady signs a 10-year, $375 million contract that I've, I've said for a long time, if you're a quarterback in the NFL, take a little bit less money. I'm not saying don't get paid. I'm not saying don't get generational wealth. You should take care of yourself, take care of your family. But I'd take a little bit less money on the field so that I could pay teammates a little more and have better players that I'm playing with. Because the most valuable thing and the best thing a quarterback can do is win and win a lot. If you win, you get more money off the field, whether it's, I, I think of whether it's a yogurt commercial or branding, cleats, apparel deals, whatever it is. You, you want to be in commercials and make a lot of money off the field, you got to win and be a superstar. And it's interesting, Tom Brady has never once been the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. But he is now already and will be the highest paid broadcaster in the sports world, which is ridiculous. And it just goes back to saying that, hey, Tom Brady took less money on the field. It allowed him to have better teammates around him and allowed him to win more football games. He won seven Super Bowls, became super famous for winning and winning and dominating. And because of that legacy that he leaves behind as a football player, he's now incredibly valuable as a broadcaster. I love it. I just, I think the foresight and and something every other quarterback can learn, take $5 million less so you can pay a really good receiver to play with you, have a little better teammates. I just, I'm telling you, man, if what's the difference in lifestyle between 25 million and 15 million? Over, if you spread it, you know, 15 million a year for years, yeah, you'll make a little less money in the long run, but you can pay your teammates more, probably win more, and therefore make more money off the field. And you see people like Kyler Murray demanding the biggest contract possible 
when I think people like Kyler Murray got to focus on winning as much as you possibly can. Now, Kyler Murray, I don't know, has a personality to ever be a broadcaster, become the highest paid broadcaster. But, um, you know, I just think that there's some foresight Tom Brady's had that other players haven't had, whether it's taking care of his body, taking less money, focusing on winning over finances. If you win as a quarterback, the rest will take care of itself. And that seems to be working very well for Tom Brady. I am beyond excited. I can't wait to hear Tom Brady broadcast a football game. It's going to be incredible. It's been really fun to see Tom Brady go from New England to Tampa and share even more of his personality and be even more forthright and more, more talkative and more opinionated and kind of getting to show who he really is beyond just a football player. And I'm really curious if Tom Brady can win over the people who hate him. I, you know, Tony Romo, for example, was hated by a lot of people as a football player. He goes to the broadcast booth, works for CBS, and now a lot of people love him. People that didn't like him as a player love him as a broadcaster, and I'm curious if Tom Brady can do a similar thing with Fox. But regardless, uh, I... You know, I was disappointed when Tom Brady retired. Now there's a, a, a cool thing where whenever his career is over, I'm excited for the next step because I can't wait to hear Tom Brady broadcast a football game. It's going to be incredible. I think he's going to be uniquely great at it. And it's funny. It, feel like, a, it feels a little bit like Tom Brady found a way to one-up Peyton Manning once again. You know, Peyton Manning will not commit to doing a full football broadcast. He won't go to the booth. He's doing his own thing from his house how he wants to do it. He's doing an alternate Monday Night Football broadcast. Well, Tom Brady said, I'll go all the way in. I'll take a, a massive amount of money. I will be the number one analyst for Fox. And it's kind of funny that little, in, in a small, tiny way, the Brady-Manning rivalry continues even after their football careers are over. All right, this episode is all about you guys, your listener hot takes part two. Uh, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. That is how you write into this podcast, patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. You give a dollar a month. You can give more if you want to. Please do. It literally helps pay my rent. But a dollar a month gives you access, access to submit questions on Patreon. It's $12 a year. Now, I do not guarantee to read your write-ins on the show. My only guarantee is I look at every single write-in with my eyeballs. And I pick the top couple to read on the show. I put this on Patreon the other day. Let me drink some water. I'm about to, I probably got to cut. I got to cough. Give me one second. I'm not kidding. I think I like strained my throat. It's been hard to talk for a couple days. I've been like really like, ah, it's been like a, it's like a dry spot in the back of my throat that no matter what I do, I can't fix it. It's just not, not very comfortable. Um, I put this on Patreon the other day. I said, send me your sports hot takes. I want to hear your hottest takes. Hopefully you send in sports opinions, but I'll take other stuff too. For example, I hate ketchup, and I think it's just weird, sugary acid. Send in your sports hot takes. I'm going to discuss them on Strong Opinion Sports. I got to say, you guys showed up big time. The people who follow and support the show on Patreon got a lot of write-ins. They got so many write-ins, I'm like, I could make this into a two-part episode, episode one and episode two. This is part two. So let's start today with Philip. Philip writes in and says, Boise State fans are spoiled by formerly winning a weak Mountain West and making a lower-level bowl game almost every year. They won't be good again trying to hire from within or alumni. Chris Peterson was their last great coach and was responsible for their culture, wins, and accomplishments. Harson and Avalos will not bring the winning culture back to the Broncos. And I say all of this as a Boise State fan myself. 
Does anybody remember the Colt Brennan era for Hawaii football? I do. As a kid, I remember watching Colt Brennan, number 15, had the cool arm sleeves. June Jones was head coach. It was a really fun moment in time. Boise State is like that. Boise State is similar to the Hawaii era with Colt Brennan at quarterback. A fun moment in time, but a moment in time nonetheless. It came and went. I loved the Coach Peterson era at Boise State. Coach Pete, Kellen Moore at quarterback. It was awesome. It was fun. Trick plays. They beat Oklahoma one time. That was before Kellen Moore, actually. I think Zabransky was their quarterback. It was a fun era, a fun moment in time. Coach Peterson left. They've never been able to do it again because it was a moment that has come and gone. And really, they're just kind of an average Mountain West team now that that era is over. And I don't think it's coming back. I think what they had was a special coach with a great recruiting pitch and uh, a really cool culture. And unfortunately, it's just not coming back anytime soon. So uh, that's sad, but I I agree wholeheartedly with you, Philip, that... um, it's the winning culture, whatever that was, that Chris Peterson era isn't coming back because Chris Peterson isn't coming back. Okay, Thomas writes in, he wrote in with more on the last episode. I forgot to read the second part of his question. So Thomas says also, because it's, it's the follow-up to the rest of his question that I read the first part of. He says, <laughs> lettuce and tomato on burgers suck. Now to clarify... If it is a lettuce-wrapped burger, that is actually not bad at all and delicious. I'm talking about that shredded or iceberg lettuce. It makes any condiment on the burger slide around or fall off the burger. And as for the tomato, it's a fruit and doesn't belong there. Some acceptable toppings for burgers are pickles, mushrooms, onions, cheese, and bacon. I don't know. It sounds like you got a hatred for lettuce and tomato. I don't know. I think they're totally acceptable. I like the iceberg lettuce. I'm a fan of it. I think it's better on like a sub. Um, the fruit thing is weird. Have you ever had peach on a burger? Try putting like grilled peaches on a hamburger. It is outstanding. Cannot recommend that enough. Or pineapple. Pineapple's a fruit. That's also great on burgers. You got a bonsai burger. So I don't know, man. I, you, you have a problem. You hate tomato and iceberg lettuce. That's your thing, but I'm not going to agree with you. I just, uh, it's totally acceptable in my mind. Connor writes in and says, the playoffs should be interconference. I understand the history behind it and why it is this way, but the AFC and NFC is a really a thing of the past and should only be for scheduling purposes now. Why should we, why should we be limited to half of the possible Super Bowl matchups? Imagine if that Mahomes versus Josh Allen game was actually for the Super Bowl. I kind of understand where you're coming from. Uh, but th- there also is power to the AFC championship game. I mean, if you get a game between Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen to get into the Super Bowl, that's a really epic moment. I hear you arguing that we are missing out on the best possible matchup. Um, you know, I, maybe you do just break it up and say, hey, we'll just divide everyone by record. The two best teams are at the top. And I hear that, but I, I really think there's power in having conferences. I like that the number one seed matters. The AFC goes through blah, blah, blah city. So I get where you're coming from. I don't agree with you, but eh, fair enough. I'm curious if anyone else has a strong opinion there. I just don't. I'm like, ah, you know, I like the AFC. I like the NFC. I like that, you know, for years, the the NFC title went through Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers and um, Matt LaFleur. I think that's fun. And I, I, I just don't, 
I don't know. I think there's power there, and I, I don't think we should get rid of conferences. I just don't agree with you. I don't see enough. It's not enough of a problem for me to go, oh, yeah, I hate it, because that game was great. It was amazing, and I, uh, I enjoyed Josh Allen versus Patrick Mahomes. I don't think it makes it any less epic that it happened in a regular playoff game and not the Super Bowl. Tim writes in and says, if Eli Manning is a Hall of Famer, for the record, I don't think he is, then Julian Edelman has a case to be one too. Mediocre in the regular season, but insane postseason accomplishments. Tim, I totally disagree with you. Uh, Eli Manning has a way better shot at the Hall of Fame than Julian Edelman does. You're, you're oversimplifying it to say mediocre in the regular season, but insane postseason accomplishments. Uh, Eli Manning is top 10 in a bunch of categories. Passing yards, completions, passing touchdowns, one, two Super Bowls. Uh, Julian Edelman played 11 years in the NFL, only three of which he played the entire season. Julian Edelman is nowhere near the same amount of noteworthy. Oh, and by the way, this isn't fair, but it's true. He's not from, a, he's not from the Manning family. I, I'm not saying that's right, but... I think being part of the Manning family gives Eli certainly a leg up on Julian Edelman. But look at the all-time passing list. Eli Manning is surrounded by Hall of Famers everywhere. He's way beyond some guys who are Hall of Famers. Some people say Joe Montana is the greatest quarterback of all time. Eli Manning is way, way past him. If you look at the all-time receiving list I did this morning, Odell Beckham Jr. and Stephon Diggs are way beyond Julian Edelman in all-time passing yards, and they're still playing. Julian Edelman was a cool player, had a great moment in time, and I think he's going to be a Patriots Hall of Fame, you know, whatever that Ring of Honor thing is in the Patriots Hall of Fame. But, yeah, Julian Edelman is way farther from the Hall of Fame than Eli Manning is, and that's not really a discussion in my mind. I'm like, uh, just the company they're surrounded by says enough there all on its own. Joshua writes in and said, the Browns intentionally tanked Baker Mayfield's value through character assassination and then demanding high draft picks for him to keep him in case Deshaun Watson gets suspended. That's your hot take. I don't fully understand how the Browns benefit by Baker not having trade value. Are, are you saying that they wanted to be able to justify keeping him so they tanked his value like they, they felt like they couldn't just openly say, we're not sure whether Deshaun's going to be ready, so we're just going to hang on to him? They had to trick the world into them being forced to having him. Does that make sense? I, I mean, don't you worry about the locker room? If you're the Browns, I'd be like, I don't want Baker Mayfield and Deshaun Watson having to work together every day. That sounds like a toxic environment. And why would you not want, whether Deshaun's going to play or not, he's your long-term quarterback. He's going to miss six games, maybe next year, who knows? I, certainly, it doesn't seem like there's a, a suspension on the horizon. Um if anything, it might be next year, not this year. So I don't know. What do the Browns really get by lowering Baker Mayfield's trade value to nothing other than they're forced to keep him so that PR-wise they don't have to justify keeping Baker? But I, I, I think the more trade value, the better for the Browns. So I don't really understand the train of thought here. I'm not, I just don't get it. I don't really know wh where you're coming from, Joshua. How do the Browns benefit by Baker having no trade value? If he has trade value, they can still keep him. I don't know. Adam writes in and says, sports, uh, his sports hot take is, playing divisional rivals more frequently than other teams makes divisional rivalries less interesting. 
Why would I care about the Bears playing the Packers this weekend when they are playing each other again in a couple weeks? And then his non-sports hot take is Dungeons and Dragons is the best game of all time across all types of games. Wow. Uh, It's video games, sports, board games, everything. I have never played Dungeons and Dragons. It's a bucket list thing for sure. Uh, Now... uh, Hear me out. I am not comparing Dungeons and Dragons to Settlers of Catan. I know they're nowhere near the same thing, but they exist in a similar type of nerd culture. I adore Settlers of Catan. I've played that. I know Dungeons and Dragons is a whole other thing with role playing and storytelling, and it's like long, epic campaigns. I know they're not the same, but I want to give a shout out. It made me think of Settlers of Catan. I love that game. Play it with my family. Um, got all the expansions, actually. It's like a spe- I love it. I love it very much. Um, never played Dungeons and Dragons. I don't know if I ever am going to be able to because the barrier to entry feels super high. But that's a thing I'd love to do before I die at some point is somehow get in on a game of Dungeons and Dragons. If anyone out there plays and wants to invite your boy Zach to come play with them, uh, let me know. I'll drive to you. <laughs> we can play. And I, I, I don't know how that works. I, don't, I think it's like a thing that lasts actually a couple weeks. I don't, I don't really know. But I, I'm willing to figure it out and... I want to do that before I die. If, it, if I can, I want to play Dungeons and Dragons at some point before your boy carries on uh, to whatever's next in like 50 years. I got 50 years to figure it out, though, so that, that feels comforting a little bit. Now, playing division rivals, do you, do you play them too often? Um, no, two times a year is kind of perfect in my mind. That's the point, by the way. You play them two times a year, once at your place, once at their place, and... I, I think that every decision you make as a franchise is, you know, built around with the context of you are directly competing against these other teams in your division. If you're the Lions, you know that you got to build a team that can compete with Green Bay, Chicago, and Minnesota. You got to play them twice a year. Oh, and by the way, you got to be able to play on the road in Chicago in the cold, potentially in November and December. Same with Green Bay. You got to play potentially in Green Bay in the cold in December or November, and you got to build a team knowing that. So, I mean, I, I think division rivalries, I just think you're wrong. I don't agree at all. I think they, they matter, and I think I don't think it's too high of a frequency to play each other two times a year. Now, um, sometimes you play them a third time in the playoffs, and that can be maybe a bit much, but I think it actually is still interesting because you're like, look, they played each other each other twice. Think about the... The Buccaneers last year, or maybe two years ago, yeah, two years ago when they won the Super Bowl, they played New Orleans two times during the regular season. They got beat both times. Then they played them a third time in the playoffs and won that game. And it was like, wow, because of the first two games, it was oh, it made sense to be very skeptical of Tampa against New Orleans. So it made it even more meaningful when Tampa did beat Drew Brees and the Saints in the playoffs in New Orleans. So I just don't agree with you, but uh, you're welcome to have that opinion if you want. Zach writes in, uh, not me, another Zach, he spells his name with an H, Z-A-C-H, my name is Z-A-C. Zach says, the Chiefs will be just fine without Tyreek Hill. I also think they will win the division. P.S., this might not be that hot of a take after the draft. Um, so in the second round, Kansas City drafted Sky Moore, a receiver out of Western Michigan. He's a stud, got a lot of potential, he's a great athlete. They also uh, signed Marquez Valdez-Scantling from Green Bay. He's, uh, it'll be interesting to see how he does. Kansas City did not replace Tyreek Hill. 
but they brought in MVS, they brought in Sky Moore. We'll see how they do. I I think what's really interesting and clear is that nobody has any idea how good Kansas City is going to be next year. We just don't know. There, There's a lot of potential there, and it could go either direction. I do want to give a shout-out. They brought in a guy. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how to say his name, but I watched his film, and it was really good. Tyler uh, Big U uh, out of McNeese State. He's going to be fun to watch in the preseason. Tyler Big U uh, and their quarterback, Dustin Crum. They're going to be – I think Kansas City is going to be a uniquely fun team to watch during the preseason. I can't wait to watch their backups and some of their undrafted guys. I don't know. We're, if, you're, if you're bored in August and you want to watch a couple preseason games, find a way to track down Kansas City during the preseason. That's going to be really fun and really interesting. Kid Gabriel writes in. He says, uncontroversial cold take for the edification of the audience. Some people think that, quote, hot take means a good take and a cold take means a bad take. This is fundamentally incorrect. A hot take is a controversial and uh, spicy. A hot take is controversial and a cold take is status quo. A hot take can be both good or bad. It only needs to necessarily be something that generates controversy. That is what makes hot takes, quote, spicy. So a hot take, and Gabriel's right here. A lot of people are just sending in their opinions. And I don't, I'm not going to be the hot take police. I don't really care. I'm here to just talk about sports and you guys send in stuff and I'll read it and talk about it. But Gabriel is right here that a hot take, by definition, is a spicy, controversial thing. So, you know, um, frankly, there are things that I don't talk about. I know that I could make more money and have more viewers by talking about even hotter takes. Like I, I tend to avoid uh, Colin Kaepernick. I will say a friend of mine spent the day with Colin Kaepernick recently at Michigan. She was his liaison. She hung out with him all day. Has nothing but great things to say about Colin Kaepernick. Spent a whole day with him. Said he was wonderful. The, I think she spent long, more time with him than that, actually, because she met him you know, before and after he left Michigan. But spoke highly of him. Loved him. But I know that uh, the Colin Kaepernick thing, anything you say about that is a hot take because it's very controversial. So uh, I actually have, you know, my strong opinion in sports is more like moderate opinion in sports more and more. Uh, you know, some things I just don't know the answer to. There are some things out there that I, I think they're not even worth – they're rabbit holes that are not worth going down because – Nobody wins. It's just there's an unclear argument and people are angry all the time. And uh, I'm just not really here. My goal isn't to make people angry. Uh, My goal is to talk about something I love, which is sports. So I don't know. Caleb writes in, says, all of the big four sports in the U.S. would benefit from having shorter games. The NFL, NBA, NHL, and Major League Baseball. It would acknowledge that the modern athlete has a much more physically demanding setting than yesteryear. I also think that a shorter game would reduce a lot of dead time that most games have and make the quality of competition better. Uh, here's what I want to say to this, Caleb. I don't. I, you're probably right. Um, I I will say I almost never watch a game live. I record. Every single sporting event possible. I, I have got a setting on my DVR. I use YouTube TV. Record every sport. Literally, if it has a tag word sports, I record it. 
Uh, and I watch every game about 30 or 40 minutes late so that I can fast forward through commercials because I cannot stand the boring commercials. I just, I'm not here for it. Uh, and I love the freedom of anytime there's a boring moment, eh, skip it, fast forward, find a better spot. And uh, I watch about everything about 30, 40 minutes late. I watch Survivor that way. Uh, I haven't watched, quote, live TV. I watched Formula One live because there's no commercials. So thank you to European sports for uh, not having commercials. They got sponsorships baked into the names of their teams instead. Jeffrey writes in, says, Trevon Walker was a reach at number one, and Kayvon Thibodeau should have been the pick for the Jags, not Aiden Hutchinson. That's a hot take, and I like that one. Well done, Jeffrey. By the way, did anyone see Trevon Walker just signed a four-year, $37 million contract fully guaranteed? Oh, that feels like a... I, I'm, I'm worried about that, that Trevon Walker might have been the wrong pick. It'll be really interesting to look back at this draft in like five years when you realize there were three defensive ends taken in the top five. The Jaguars drafted Trevon Walker, number one overall. The Lions drafted Aiden Hutchinson, number two overall. And the Giants drafted Kayvon Thibodeau, number five overall. In a few years, we're going to look back and kind of realize who became the better player from this draft. And uh, I, I can't wait to figure... Yeah, that's going to be a really fun conversation to have and a thing, good thing to find out. It's very possible the guy who went number five, Kayvon Thibodeau, becomes the, the best player from this draft, or at least the best defensive end taken. So that'll be very, very spicy and interesting as the years go on. Davis writes in with a cacophony of hot, uh, of hot takes. He says, this is going to get hotter the further we get. Number one, by the way, it's not a hot take. He says, Matt Ryan will be the first Colts quarterback since Andrew Luck to return after a year. Not a hot take. It's probably just true. Number two, the Oakland A's will announce their new home team, their new home this year. So the Oakland A's are rumored to move. I'm hearing maybe Vegas. It's an interesting prediction. We'll see where they go. Baker Mayfield will find his new home with the New York Giants. Baker to the Giants. Why would they do that? The Giants are going to give Daniel Jones a year and then probably draft another quarterback if it doesn't work out. So I don't see Baker going to the Giants at all, but it, it's, it's possible, I guess. Number four, Kansas City will get last in the West. I maintain, I guess that's probably true, but nobody has any idea how good Kansas City is going to be next year. I mean, I, I, if I had to rank the division right now, I would say LA is the best team in the West, then Denver, then Vegas, then Kansas City, but... Things can also go wrong. Like you, you can know who's the best team on paper, or the worst team on paper, and then things can get entirely changed by someone getting hurt. So I, you just never really know. Um, Davis Mills will be the best sophomore quarterback this year. I think Davis Mills was the best rookie quarterback. It's very possible that Trevor Lawrence or Zach Wilson does better than Davis Mills this year because of the weapons they got around them instead of Davis Mills, but maybe. Uh, Justin Fields will be replaced after this year, Davis says. I feel bad for Justin Fields. Uh, I wish they'd hired an offensive coach to help him. And if, if the Bears want to get rid of Justin Fields after this year, I, th I think Justin can go somewhere. Seattle would take him. Like, I, I think Justin Fields' career may not be over, even if Chicago decides they're done with him after this year. And uh, here is a true hot take. He says, number seven, the Colts will win it all. I said it'll be a hot take. Uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, there is a hot take. The Colts are going to win the Super Bowl this year. I guess it's not impossible. I don't know that they will, but certainly that's some kind of prediction right there. 
U-H-R-Y-E. I'm going to say Uri, but I don't really know how to say your name. I apologize. Uri writes in and says, the quarterback position is overrated. Like, it's one of the premium positions in football, but people make it seem like you win or lose every game solely because of the quarterback. And people make it seem like wide receivers and tight ends are all made by that one guy. Having a great quarterback is going to define how good a receiver is. Uh, and all that's important is what quarterback QB1 does, like running backs and offensive linemen don't matter at all on offense. I'm going to read Steven's question as well. Steven says, although quarterback is the most valuable position on the offensive side, I think that offensive linemen are the most important position. Without them, you have a very limited offense as you cannot run. Unless you have Barry Sanders and you have a very limited time to make a read and find your target when throwing the football. There's a lot here to unpack. First of all, I think quarterbacks do make or break a receiver slash tight end. I mean, how many receivers have been with a bad quarterback and not been very noteworthy? Like, it's just true. I mean, a quarterback, uh, sorry, a receiver is only as good as the quarterback throwing them the football, unfortunately. Like, what do we say about Allen Robinson for years? He was really good. We had Trubisky throwing him the football. Therefore, he wasn't noteworthy and wasn't very good. I mean, he was really good, but wasn't performing at a high enough level because he didn't have a guy getting him the football. Offensive linemen are so, so, so underrated. If I was building a football team, or let's say if I was a fan of a football team, the way I would want my team built is to have an elite quarterback with a good offensive line. I can figure out the rest. Build your offensive line, build your defensive line, find a quarterback. Those are the big, the big three that are most important to me when it comes to building a football team. Now, the Bengals' philosophy last year was really interesting because they had three amazing receivers and an average offensive line, if not below average in some ways. They got to a Super Bowl, though. They said, we are going to win with receivers, not an offensive line. And uh, they, it worked for them very well. So, I don't know. I, I really hate the idea that, you know, here's the thing. Every quarterback needs help. Russell Wilson needs to go to a good football team. Aaron Rodgers needs a good team around him. Every quarterback in the world needs to have good teammates. You're just not going to win without good teammates. The quarterback position is not overrated. Uh, And here's the thing. (laughs) Go ask Carolina how it is to not have a good quarterback. Right? Like, it is really hard to win without a good quarterback. And it's basically impossible. Everybody needs one. So, therefore... There's no way the quarterback position is overrated in the sports world. You may not like that it is as important as it is, but um, I'm just never going to be on board with the idea that the quarterback position is overrated. It's just not. Phillip writes in with a crazy hot take. He says, an offensive lineman will win the offensive rookie of the year. The general public is becoming more and more aware of the impact of the offensive line. Also, the top-tier wide receivers mostly went to teams with questionable quarterback play. I don't know. I think Jahan Dotson might be rookie of the year with Carson Wentz and Washington. Uh, I'm sorry, though. An offensive lineman is never going to win a big award like that. I'm not saying that's right. I think you could have argued that the guy in L.A. could have won offensive rookie of the year last year. They were left tackle. He was incredible. But part of why offensive linemen aren't valued is because their stats aren't tracked as well and aren't as flashy as like a wide receiver. People value scoring, not pancakes. And I'm not saying that's right, but that's true. And I, I think that's honest. Okay, Richmond writes in with a long one. Ugh, I'm, it's, it's a long one, I warn you. 
Richmond says, one of the problems with the MLB, specifically it's a Major League Baseball problem, is how monstrous it seems because for the last way too many years, the best three teams have been the Red Sox, Yankees, and Dodgers. Great if you're a fan of one of those teams, you're always winning. The Yankees and Red Sox play each other in the playoffs seemingly every year, and the Dodgers almost have a monopoly on the NL, on the uh, National League. But not so if you aren't a fan of them. A significant contributor to this is the luxury tax. Insert dramatic dun-dun-dun. These teams are the only teams that are spending above the luxury tax every year, including this year where they are 2, 3, and 4, where the Dodgers very close second behind the Mets based off of projected tax payroll. And the results speak for themselves. My solution is get rid of the luxury tax and just have a salary cap like every other league saying a salary cap means you can't spend more than this money. A luxury tax is if you spend more than this amount of money, you got to pay even more money to balance it out. There really is no salary cap in baseball. It's frustrating. So my solution is to get rid of the luxury tax and just have a salary cap like every other league. This obviously doesn't solve the team's spending way under for no reason other than being cheap. So I would suggest having some sort of financial penalty for not spending a certain minimum so as to try to keep rosters more competitive. I think that would help a bit unless the MLB got a player like Tom Brady who basically acts as general manager and can land those stock X value free agents at, dollar, at a dollar store price. Uh, so you're proposing Richmond a spending window. You can't spend more than this amount of money. You can't spend le- less than this amount of money. The problem is that cheap teams will always find a way to be cheap. I mean, they will just pay average players a- as much as it takes to meet the minimum amount. Um, baseball's all messed up. You, I want a salary cap, but you can't really make everyone equal financially no matter what you do. Um, I mean, the, the popularity problem, I mean, the Pittsburgh Pirates are never going to be as popular in their city as the New York Yankees are. It's just never going to happen. Uh, and I, if you're a small market fan of a Major League Baseball team, I, I, I would feel slighted and have a hard time caring. I'd be like, my team never has a shot. If you're a, I don't know, a, a Detroit Tigers fan, a Milwaukee Brewers fan, a Pittsburgh Pirates fan, you're like, I, I just know my team never has a shot. Why should I care? Jaden writes in and said, Wide receivers should not make more than $20 million a year. The highest paid wide receiver to win a Super Bowl is Jerry Rice, making just over 8% of his team's salary cap. Second place is a ton of receivers in around the 5% mark. So you said $20 million a year, but you then transition to percentages, partially because Jerry Rice played so long ago that he made nowhere near $20 million. But I would think you would want to make an argument, should never make 8% of the Ross, because as the, as the salary cap goes higher and higher, $20 million is going to be less and less to spend on one player. Um, still, we get to test your theory, though, of can you pay a receiver too much? Because the Raiders are paying Devontae Adams a ton. Miami's paying Tyreek Hill a ton of money. Now, Miami is not aiming for a Super Bowl, though, I don't think. Miami is aiming to, right now, just try to be more relevant than they are currently and win some games. Miami doesn't care about a Super Bowl at all, I don't think. If they win one, great, but Miami just wants to win and, and not be awful. So I think Tyreek Hill helps him do that, and I, I just don't entirely agree that you, you shouldn't pay a receiver. I think paying a receiver, it depends on what your goals are, uh, and I just think having a, a high-level receiver makes your franchise more competitive and more interesting, even if a Super Bowl isn't necessarily on the table there. Carter writes in and says a lot of stuff. He says, I'll let you pick and choose. 
So Drew Locke was a good quarterback when he played in a West Coast-style offense, Carter says. Uh, we'll see. I, I'm really interested to see. I've got an open mind about Drew Locke, but I'm not sure he's going to be great this year. Uh, Carter says another. This is not a hot take. Daniel Jones was the second-best quarterback taken in, in his draft. You're right, but it's also not that impressive. First of all, the 2019 draft class was Kyler Murray. He's the best quarterback in that draft class. And then Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins, rest in peace, Dwayne Haskins, Drew Locke, and Jarrett Stidham. Being the second-best quarterback in that group is not that impressive, so I don't know. Um, here's a, an interesting take. Not a hot take either, really, but an interesting one. Paying a mediocre quarterback $15 million will lead to more success than paying the 10th or 15th best quarterback 35 to $40 million. I agree. I'd rather pay Jimmy Garoppolo $15 million than pay Kirk Cousins 35 He says, Kyler Murray would have played baseball if a major market team had drafted him. Yeah, he got drafted by the Oakland A's. I don't blame him for not going there. But I also don't think it's true that Kyler Murray was ever going to play baseball. Maybe, maybe it was more than we realized, but... I think the path to becoming a professional in the MLB or the path to getting to the top of the MLB is way harder than in football. Um, And I think he was better at football, frankly. Hockey is the best sport, Carter says. It has constant action. Downtime is reserved for intermissions and commercials. It has skill, physicality, speed, strategy, and fighting. I love the fighting in hockey. Hockey is underrated it's a great sport to watch live it's hard to watch on tv but if you can go to a hockey game highly highly recommend it he says the mlb should have six inning games with a home run derby style shootout it's time for a new era of the mlb i think so too uh baseball is just going to get smaller and smaller and smaller unless they make changes and i'd love to see baseball make changes I, i like the sport i just don't know that the mlb is doing a lot of this stuff right Finally, Carter says, having football 12 months a year will either hurt football's average viewership or hurt every other sport. Uh, Certainly, year-round football means that there's going to be a winner and a loser in some way. Someone's going to lose probably baseball, I think. I think football is going to be okay, uh, but I think think baseball viewership is going to go down and down and down. But look, I, I recommend go to a baseball game live and in person. It's really fun and really, really interesting. Okay, Sammy writes in and says, Hey, Zach, new Patreon member. I've been listening to the show for four years. Finally decided to become a member. My sports hot take is that Carson Wentz is elite and that his whole career he has not played with elite weapons. Yes, there are flaws to this argument. 2017 was his best supporting cast and he was an MVP candidate before tearing his knee. Last year, he threw 27 touchdowns with seven interceptions with just basically force-feeding the ball to Michael Pittman. He has had luck with good offensive lines, but I feel like his O-lines often always get injured. Also, I do not believe the narrative about him being a bad leader. He has had plenty of former teammates come out and support him, such as uh, Michael Pittman, Darius Leonard, Jason Kelsey, Lane Johnson, etc. Anyways, thank you for reading my essay. Let me know when you are coming to Baltimore or D.C. A lot of stuff here. First of all, Certainly, people that liked Carson Wentz are going to come out and defend him as a leader. But he's been on two teams, Philadelphia and Indianapolis, and both of them were unimpressed with him as a leader. Where there's smoke, there's fire. I I don't think he's a great leader. I'm sure he's fine, but I don't think he's the galvanizing leader he's needed to be. Otherwise, 
he wouldn't there, there wouldn't be this talk two teams in a row now that Carson isn't a great leader. Now, uh, don't be silly. Carson Wentz is not an elite quarterback. That is kind of crazy. Yeah, he's had some bad teams around him. Uh, certainly, let's acknowledge that this year in Washington, Carson is going to have the best receivers he's had in his entire career. But like I said, don't be silly. He's not elite. He's not a top five quarterback in the NFL. That's what elite means. It means you're like one of the top five or top three best players at your position in the league. He might be better than people realize. That's possible, but he's not an elite quarterback. And uh, Sammy, I just, that, that's a silly thought. But I, I, I don't... I don't disagree. I think Carson could be very good in Washington this year, and I've I've got an open mind. Finally, Balin writes in and says, I totally dropped the ball in getting mine in here for this episode, so here's one for your next one if you keep doing this. Here's a reasonable hot take. I don't think it's... I I don't think hot takes are necessarily reasonable. Uh, The Chargers on paper are even better than we think, but it still doesn't quite get put together for as long as it needs to be. They play second in the AFC West and lose the conference championship by a couple touchdowns because their head coach, Brandon Staley can't keep his balls in his pants. I love Staley, but my hot take is if they lose, it'll mostly be on him this time, not a weak run defense. Now my fanboy hot take, Justin Herbert throws for 5,300 yards. They're a top three scoring uh, offense and the defense leads the league in interceptions and strip sacks. They sweep the Raiders and chiefs. They split with the Broncos because they always effing do. To win the AFC West and make the Super Bowl, and they win against the Rams, it's not in SoFi this year, but we finally get the LA versus LA Super Bowl. I just, I keep hearing all these hot takes about the AFC West, and I want to maintain, no one knows what's going to happen in the AFC West at all. I'm going to have a hard time making predictions this year for this division because I'm just going to have to pick somebody. And on paper, here's how I would rank them. I think L.A. is the best team, followed by Denver, then Vegas, then Kansas City is probably the fourth best team in that division. But Kansas City is really good. They would probably win other divisions. Kansas City would easily win the NFC East over Dallas, Philly, Washington, and New York. So um, it's not like Kansas City is a bad football team. I don't know, man. I I just want to maintain nobody knows what's going to happen. In the AFC West. We just, we just don't know. All right, guys, that's all I have. I love you. I appreciate you. Hope you have a great day. Let's, uh, very shortly, we will, be ta- we will be talking about the new NFL schedule. I love you. I appreciate you. Ba-dum-bum. Bam. We are done.